Hi, Danielle. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I met you at our mental health fair and you were just like this ray of sunshine on a cloudy day and you came over and introduced yourself and you're so bubbly and warm and I'm I'm really grateful to have you here. Plus, I really believe in what it is that you do as a person and as a purpose and I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of tell us more about some of the things that you do. So I wanted to start talking about it. If we you're good. You are the founder of an organization called One Special World. Tell us all about that. So One Special World is my heart and Uh, my baby. It has been with me for over 14 years. Wow. You're so young to have done anything for 14 years, Danielle. Okay. Honestly, it started when I was six. Wow. And so I was born in a home with a lot of love and also a lot of challenge. Mm. And my dear brother, he's older than me. It's just us two, was born before me, clearly. And he was born with something called Fragile X Syndrome. Which is? It's very similar to autism. Okay. It's a genetic disorder that essentially means cognitive delay, social mm-hmm. delay, developmental delay. And my mom, unbeknownst to her, was a carrier. So they didn't know oh, sure. until he was 18 months old. Because you're not checking that exactly. out. You're just excited to be pregnant. And she had my brother in 89, and in 83, Fragile X itself was known. Wow. So still very new. Yeah. And my parents, you know, bless them, were two, like, lovebirds, so excited to have babies, didn't really foresee what was going to be. And he was developmentally slow, and at first, you know, doctors were like, oh, don't worry, he'll be fine. And fast forward, he was diagnosed. And, you know, just side note, if you're listening and you know somebody who has a child or children with special needs or you yourself have a child or children with special needs, like, I'm so proud of you because it's Aww. so, so, so wildly beautiful, different, yeah. and challenging. How did your parents handle that? Because they were modeling for you right. what it looks like to receive news that maybe wasn't expected. I'm not going to say a disappointment because it we don't know what it is. Yeah. It's just something maybe unexpected. Expected. How did your parents 100%. model that? So I will say first with the modeling was they modeled bravery and compassion because mm-hmm. they had me and I had a 50-50 shot of oh. having Fragile X. Okay. Fragile X, I'm not going to sorry if that affects the audio, but <laughs> um, nor am I a carrier. Okay. And I just think to birth another child into this world without knowing is a ginormous undertaking and just signing up for that. Um, they did have an amniocentesis and it was unclear mm-hmm. and they still went through with having me. Wow. Yeah, huge. And fast forward, it put a lot of strain on their mental health, on their emotional health, on the marriage, on financial health. And it really led to a very challenging relationship between them. And And I will say as a couples therapist that unfortunately the percentages of couples that don't survive their relationship is like is as high as like 85 percent for for parents that are dealing with special needs because there's so much strain on you there's so much guilt and shame even though Mm -hmm. there shouldn't be guilt Mm -hmm. and shame and there's so much 
this sense that if I experience disappointment that I'm not being loyal or I'm not being appreciative or not finding gratitude and it's not that at all but when you're in the midst of it mm-hmm. it can feel enormous 100% and yeah. I also think there is this imminent fear of the future because mm. parents want to outlive their children if they don't know who's going to take care of their children or who's going to pay for their children yeah. and in full disclosure you know even speaking that aloud I wonder if that was part of the decision to have me to have someone to be there but also knowing that I could have it I don't think that was the full decision yeah and like for a sense of hope that we could experience what I think definitely hope in having a child with typical needs and seeing what that feels like to have the traditional mother-daughter, mother-father, or not mother-father, father-daughter relationship. And that there is somebody there to continue to care for the child. Oh, sure. You're not here. Because we're not going to last forever and there's an assumption that they'll need to be care and maybe there'll be a sibling there to like, well, that's a little bit of responsibility to come into the world with. Okay. Yes. All right. And honestly, like, I don't really think of that that much. Sure, sure. I'm in awe of my aunt and uncle also have a child with fragile X because it's genetic. She was actually diagnosed after my brother. Oh. And it's their only child. Okay. And now they're in their, like, late 60s, early 70s. And it's, you know... I don't know if it's my compassion, if it's my empathy, or if it is as palpable as I can feel the health measures they do to be here mm. for her. To Because there's this greater sense of responsibility to be present and alive and like participating yeah, right. in care. Exactly. So going back to when I was six, I didn't have the language for it nor like the cognition for this, but essentially seeing my parents with their own human needs and their own experiences, I was like oh my gosh I'm going to take care of my brother Mm -hmm. and we would literally build like Legos and I would build two group homes not group homes two homes behind my house one Mm -hmm. was for my parents which eventually went away sorry (laughs) and one was for my brother and I knew that one day I would take care of him and literally started wow at six we built like a Hogwarts and I would teach him what I was like learning in Mm -hmm. school and you know some of it was selfish too it was called DP schooling all about me and like I failed him when he wouldn't come but I get it it was challenging for him but also he did enjoy it and did come sometimes but that pressure was really palpable on my shoulders and my heart and it led was that something you took on or did you get this sort of like side comments or like inferring that like well when we're not here Danielle you know phenomenal question I took it on Ah. Um, and I will say when I was 12 I started what is making now one special world making the club which was one world I started to try to make that a club it didn't actualize until I was like 14 it was a long process but with that I also in a loving way did not necessarily have the parental reflection of some of the things I was undertaking were heavy or hard or maybe unrealistic and what I mean by that is the premise of one world was to unite within my high school all populations wow. so within my high school the mainstream education and the special education were very separate sure and I wanted to unite everyone mm-hmm. and so we did these things called wacky Wednesdays where like once a month on Wednesdays there was a theme and we would have lunch together and play a sport together like gym class and yeah. class and we would educate on all different types of special needs at meetings whether it's Down syndrome autism you were doing this in high school yeah 
Yes. Um, wow. I don't remember doing anything other than like wondering what color sweater to wear and thanks. nail polish to match. You thanks. were doing something phenomenally like progressive and brave. Thank you. And honestly, I think it was so much soul and also like the overachiever pleaser yeah. shadow too. So yeah. I take holistic responsibility of that, but definitely like from my heart is where it started. And as we were building this, I noticed that we were raising money for all different causes. We raised, which is phenomenal and such a community, like gracious thank you, 40 grand for Fragile X Syndrome wow. Research, which is what my brother had. You gathered that in high school. Which is wild because we were doing, I mean, I can't say I, like we. You were involved it. in right. yeah, fundraising. We bake sales and Aww. like t-shirt sales and, you know, restaurant nights wow. and walks and talent shows. And it really showed me that there is so much that community can do and can we use this in service to my brother's direct story and my also side note at the time which could be a whole different podcast but I think it's it still has premise for why it was so on my heart to do it quickly um I was experiencing a medical mystery I had an organ removed and paralysis and all of this wild stuff and with the imminence of that and what was going on with my parents I was like where is my brother gonna live and group homes are a very common I know it's also like a controversial topic I believe if a home is safe and catered towards the needs of the people in it it's a beautiful space to be it's sometimes hard to find that especially publicly but I was like oh my gosh where is my brother gonna live and my brother is smack in the middle where he doesn't need like bathroom assistance and nonverbal care but he also can't read and write and cook for himself and live on his own and that like middle need road is very unaccounted for and there are group homes that are more geared towards the higher needs or people who are more self-sufficient like my cousin actually lives in a beautiful group home and she you know she can type all over social media she can do all that which my brother does too with Siri but she is in a less need base and so seeing that this was a grand problem my goal was to build a group home for my brother two other residents a staff member and a therapy dog and then create a model that could be implemented nationwide because it is so common wow and such a big and beautiful undertaking and also an enormity of pressure was that also here I am yeah. me putting my therapist hat on was that also a coping skill for you so that you didn't have to like focus in on something that doesn't make sense it's like you have this grief about not getting to experience your childhood in some way dealing with this major illness that Mm -hmm. most of us don't have to deal with in our teenage like was this your let me just do something good so I don't have to stay in this space a hundred percent yeah I think it was multifaceted in what it served but that was definitely what's a positive use of your anxiety exactly exactly which is why I didn't know it was anxiety I thought it was just Uh go-getter you know and like world changer and essentially fast forward to college and And then post-college, my dear dad passed in 2019. May he rest in peace. And just such a challenging life. So although it's so sad for us here on planet Earth, I do think that whatever happens after is hopefully more peaceful for him. Mm. Um, I'm sorry if that, you know, hurts anyone listening. 
This is your story. I know, but sometimes, you know, people with death and stuff, it brings up mixed emotions. And after he passed, my brother was living with my mom at the time, and I moved in during COVID to help both of them. And due to some things that were going on in home, he needed to be placed in a home immediately. During COVID. So this was after COVID. Okay, but still adjacent enough that we're still reeling from it. Yeah. Okay. And so essentially when there is something that happens that essentially makes it more urgent or emergent, you can use this paperwork to become something called category one, where you can be placed sooner. Mm. So my brother since has been placed in a home. It's right by my mom. It's a safe home. Everyone's super kind. He gets to go to his day hub and his camp. And it is still not exactly for him. He's 34. He's an energizer bunny. Everyone in the home is like 55 to 64, more kind, subtle. Right. He's beautiful. He's kind. But right, like right. more gentle. And They're nature. a little more settled down. Two of them have Alzheimer's. Like it's a different right, setting. Mm-hmm. And for now it's safe. And I am a full-time entrepreneur. I run my own business as a life coach, which will one day be the boat that provides for both my brother and mom. And so the home itself has been put on a hiatus where we do have 40 grand towards the home, which I'm looking into where to put safe investments. It's a little different when it's a nonprofit. Yeah. And now we're raising more for like local organizations and communities. And I still foresee myself literally like in dreams, like cutting the ribbon to whatever this house is. And my brother having a safe home and having community. I think it's also very common for people with special needs to have challenges making friendships. And my brother, I'm talking so quickly, so I'm going to say You're that. doing great. I'm following Thank all. You've you. got a lot to say. I mean, this I is an engrossing it's story. Thank you. It's all good things, but yeah. I do this on my podcast too. <laughs> um, and with that, like, you know, beautifully, I think some of my friends are his friends. He thinks one special world. We have a club at my high school, college, and the nonprofit. So the e-board members he thinks are his friends. Aww. And in some capacity, they, they are. are. And it would just be so nice for him to have someone like him. And he wants a girlfriend. And he wants these typical experiences that are not as readily available to him given the present resource. Um, So one day we still want to build a group home and One Special World has really expanded in its mission. So it used to be, again, to combine all worlds, create a space of inclusion, which it still is. The strongest force is the power of togetherness is our slogan. And as I grew up witnessing my parents' needs and my needs and my brother's needs, I started to get curious about the fact that we all have special needs, that we all have spaces and places, regardless of diagnosis or diagnoses, that deserve care, compassion, and connection. And so now, really, our motto is to destigmatize special needs. We do teach on all things developmental disability or developmental disability challenges, rather, but also mental health. We teach on things in addiction. We teach on things in like eating disorders, depression, anxiety, stress. And it really is like this inclusive space for humanity to be human. I love that. Tell me about, so when you say 
great. I love the message, destigmatize special needs. What is it that we need to destigmatize? Mm-hmm. Tell me what that is. Like when I try to destigmatize couples therapy, mm-hmm. I'm trying to destigmatize that they're not broken and nothing's wrong with you. It, and you don't have to suffer because we're not having a conversation about the fact that everyone has right. conflict, right? What are you trying to destigmatize specifically? Such a phenomenal question. And I would say the connotation that it means that something is wrong or bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's also a difference between special needs and disability. Mm. And so disability, there are people that are very pro using the term disability. There are people that use the term disability. And, you know, in my heart, disability is this label that says what I can't do. Mm. And whatever, however somebody chooses to use it. Mm-hmm. And special need is something that says what I need, what I can do with this support or service. And of course, there are some special needs that are much more challenging that may have a very high need base mm-hmm. and support base. And with destigmatizing, it's less about othering and more about coming together and bridging. And I think a big part of what we do within One Special World is also teaching people who are typically neurotypical how to befriend, be with, interact with people who are different on spectrum. And some people are nervous and that's not bad or wrong. It's just we see special needs as so foreign, as so other. And the truth is we're all human. Is that, from your experience, a fear because we're not sure how we're supposed to respond or God forbid that could happen to someone in our family or develop for Mm -hmm. myself. And I'm not sure how to handle it. So I just sort of push push it away. A hundred percent. And it's innocent. It's not mean or bad or wrong. It's just also what we don't experience in the way we define special needs in our typical day to day Mm. life. It just seems like it's someone else's life. Mm. But I also think what you hit on beautifully is potentially the repressed fear that it can become our life. And a lot of people don't necessarily want to face fear or face the dis like yeah uncomfortable it's like you emotions. don't want to visit people at the hospital because exactly. you're afraid you'll get the sickness that they have exactly exactly or you know you come in contact with mortality and yeah. it's like you know what happens after is the biggest question and no matter how woo-woo if I pretend there's not hospitals right. then I never have to use one <laughs> sorry my life <laughs> but um but we're learning to be with the fear you know and I haven't been in the hospital like almost five years which is huge um and so not only though do we educate on the needs we also volunteer with different populations so some adaptive athletics some special olympians some like mental health type places and spaces we do like greeting cards and then we fundraise for now local organizations that have to do with special needs also one of our members had a family member with als so even if it's a direct or donation to somebody um and still the distant goal is to build a group home i think what i'm hearing you say which i like is we all have needs they're all special to us but we all have needs. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so just being more open and mindful to like being curious about what your needs are. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you'll be curious about mine and we don't have to have a place of fear then because we're sharing them in like an open format. Exactly. 
so how do I, so this is what comes up for me as we talk about it. I think part of the fear also, I'm saying this with love, there's so many expectations about how we approach people in the world these days. And there's so much like, if I ask you and I don't ask it right, I'm going to offend you or you're, I'm going to be seen as less aware in the world. Mm -hmm. So how would you suggest mm -hmm. someone approach the caregiver or the person that's encountering the special needs from a loving place of like, I genuinely just want to know what's your world like. Mm -hmm. I may not be hip on all the technology or all hip on like the, the needs that you have, but how do I like get information so that I can be a better advocate for you? So first of all, I love that. And exactly that verbiage is perfect. And I think, you know, DEI trainings have been a part of my whole life because the disability community is a mar marginalized uh, minority community. And we even have done some DEI trainings for disability perspective. So it's not necessarily new to me. And I think when it comes to language, and I understand the difference between like intention and impact, but yeah. if somebody comes wholeheartedly with compassion and curiosity and leaves judgment aside and is just like, I want to be a bridge, not a barrier. Mm. I myself see that, feel that, and I'm so happy to share. Mm -hmm. And even like with myself, I typically coach people like 25 to 35 who are empaths. And now I just started coaching, which I'm so excited. Again, individuals with different needs. Wow. And even to the person themselves, the individual themselves, like I understand some people may be verbal, some may not. But again, it's just curiosity and it's really listening to their world and saying like I want to be your friend or I'm here to support you know what do you like to do what don't you like to do what makes you excited what makes you afraid mm. and I think to a caregiver or caretaker which one day I am legally the secondary guardian of my brother and I one day will be the full-on primary yeah it would just be like hey like I'm so proud of you mm. and I see you and I see the bravery it takes and the compassion it takes to mother father parent and sibling my sibling yeah and like how can I support and I think that that's so beautiful and again I do believe that when we come from real love compassion and curiosity it changes the way the impact is made so you're giving me the impression that if we come with an open heart and intention, we can't screw it up. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, get your sight set on like really expressing love mm -hmm. versus getting in our heads about, I'm not saying the right word or I'm not using the correct terminology that you're, that anyone can sense when my intentions are coming from a good place and someone will meet me in the middle. Exactly. And similarly to therapy coaching, you know, it's about them. It's not about yeah. us. Yeah. So when we're thinking like, oh my gosh, am I going to say this wrong? Or do they, are they going to think I'm a bad person? It's all about me, right? Right. But if I'm like- My ego. I'm, right. And it's innocent. Mm -hmm. But it's like, instead, if I'm literally here for you mm -hmm. to see how I can support you, I'm not in my head. I'm in my heart, you know? And I think that when we coach, when we counsel, it's again, like, yeah, of course we can think about different things that would help the client or patient, but still it's about them. And I think when it gets to be about them, like, that's an easy way also to kind of get out of our own way and not have it be wrong or bad or critical. Yeah. One thing I'm hoping that you'll also touch on for our audience is 
when I work with clients that are caregivers for someone of special needs, there is a lot of resistance to doing self-care. Um, and I, <laughs> I know you're the good, right person to bring in. So can you kind of speak to, I can speak to it all day long because I'm a therapist and it's like, well, of course you're going to tell me that, but like, what is the mental mindset you have to shove up against? Or what do you have to tell yourself? Or like, what's the process mm -hmm. for giving yourself permission to do self-care? So beautiful. And I think I would love to start, I, not I think I'll start with a little story. So there is this fable about a little girl who sees a butterfly in a cocoon and it's tight and it's dark and the little girl can like palpably feel this butterfly's pain. So what does she do? She wants to help the butterfly. So she goes over and she cuts the cocoon. Mm -hmm. But what she and the butterfly did not know were that in order for the butterfly to fly, the butterfly itself needs to break through that cocoon so that fluid from its heart could enter its wings. Mm -hmm. So now it has broken wings. And this doesn't have to be anyone's story, but essentially when we start to overtake, over caretake, we actually also disempower people. So I think first is recognizing the line of, is this my child or whomever we're interacting with that has a different need base? Is this their need that they actually need me to do this? Or is this my programming story. autopilot? Right. Mm. My story. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like seeing them in their power. And that may come easier to somebody who may struggle with codependency or put others before themselves or know that they need to caretake. Also, just like mom guilt. Like I have some mom clients that are like, oh, my gosh, I want to do everything I can for a child. And like when I see my brother in his full power, there's still a lot that I get to do for him. Yeah. And there's also a lot that I can see him do for like he is a big personality and he I've seen pictures of you guys together. He you. looks fun. Yeah, he's so fun. <laughs> and it's so funny because he also is a huge personality in that he has all different parts of himself, right? Like with me, he's hysterical and he has like this like cool sense to him, but he's also like really sweet and gentle. And then I also worked winter and summer programs where he went for years when I was younger and he's like lovingly bossy and like <laughs> super not um not as gentle, I will say. And, <laughs> He's comfortable I, with right, you. exactly. And so anyway, I think it's so special and I am now forgetting what the... So we were just kind of talking about like, how do you give yourself permission self to have self-care? Yeah. And so literally like my slogan is helping huge hearts prioritize self-care, set boundaries and feel empowered. Yeah. Because when we look at that butterfly story, right, first of all, not only are we disempowering them or taking away from their story, we can support but we can't save we're also negating entirely our story and when we go through our darkness and build our wings then we can draft we can inspire so how do we actually care for ourselves and build these wings one is self-care before sacrifice and mm. I think that say that again I like that phrase care before sacrifice snap okay yeah. no I love it too and I think that especially mainstream living in the U.S. you know yes there's a separation of church and state I'm Jewish but there's a separation uh -huh. right and you just heard my New York anyway <laughs> there is this unconscious subconscious even conscious programming of martyrdom mm. 
And if we mm-hmm. think of Jesus, if we think of martyrdom, and I don't say this to be blasphemous, no. I just say this to be true, mm-hmm. literally Jesus died. Mm-hmm. So like if somebody is always taking care of everyone else to the point that they are sacrificing themselves, they will not be here to take care of someone else. Like it's in the name of martyrdom. Yeah. So I think when we start to recognize that and say like, even if I'm so externally focused, which can still be a form of self-focus because I care what they think or what I can control an outcome. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still like if my purpose is to serve, then is it in service if I'm no longer here to serve? Yeah. And so with that, choosing whatever image, whether that's too intense or not, like self-care, right? If I have a full cup, I can pour so much from the overflow. If that cup is cracked, it can't. So I think it starts cognitively. It starts with understanding. I will not be here to help my child, to help my friend, to do my purpose or mission if I do not care for myself. And then emotionally, like how to be with that or what to do, I think it can be beautiful to start a journal practice or meditation practice or go for a walk or just have a cup of coffee with yourself before the morning starts like especially if you have a child that's waking up at six like if you can get up at 5 30 and just have 30 minutes yeah. to yourself yeah beautiful or speaking with a therapist or a coach but i think it also comes to habit change behavior where if we're not used to self-caring if we're not used to putting ourselves first it can seem so distant from the lives we live and we can start but maybe not finish and lastly I would say is really addressing the fears like what do I fear would happen if I did self-care what's the catastrophe scenario exactly and what do I fear would happen if I didn't Mm. because I think that it's almost like we have our foot on the gas and the brake where we know we want to self-care to some degree or we're feeling like exhausted burnt out drained right we may not even have like the emotional health jargon to know what it is but we feel it but yeah we're like no I can't I cannot do it so then we're not gonna go anywhere but if we can start to just gently uncover what the fear is and say it's okay to be afraid Mm -hmm. okay what do I fear would happen if I self-care I fear that you know my child is going to get hurt or I fear that this person's not gonna like me or I fear that this person's Mm -hmm. going to abandon me one valid but two it's like okay especially if it's the will this person not like me right it's like will i be okay i may be so upset i may be uncomfortable but will i be okay and the answer usually is yes because i can't control what others think about me by doing behaviors to try to manipulate them because i don't i can't if they're going to judge me for doing self-care they probably don't have this or they don't have the same situation as i do so they're never going to understand you're not going to manage their emotions by you making sacrifices exactly and that's why compassion i believe is medicine and some people we can feel and some people we can't feel or vice versa and that's okay And I think that also it's like, you know, how good can it get? Like how easy can it be or how much better can I feel if I'm actually okay? Yeah. Relatively, right? And it's like for me, my body, I believe, was screaming for my love, attention, care, and self-care when I was outsourcing everything. My whole worth, I thought, was dependent upon my grades, my organization, the achiever, the pleaser, the friends with everyone, whatever. And that has nothing to do with my worth. I'm literally born worthy. Nothing more, nothing less I could Mm -hmm. ever do that would change the worth I am because it's not a number. It's an innate 
quality. It's an innate value. And so I think that, yeah, and also, you know, living in the world, I'll say this too, and I think with couples counseling, this could be really beautiful, especially if somebody finds himself in a partnership where there's enmeshment or we so identify with that partner that we forget who we are outside of the partner. It's like if we so identify with the child or the friend or the job that we forget who we are, we're like missing the entirety of the journey it means to be us. And so it's who am I outside of a mother or who am I outside of a sibling to somebody who has special needs? And I think for myself, that was a huge identity piece because I was like, can I postpone this project of building the actual house while fulfilling my innate purpose, which I do believe my ultimate purpose is to share my story, which I'm so grateful to be doing here and to do coaching and speaking and podcasting and books and all the things and to also do the group home, to also take care of my brother. It's a part of yourself. It's not all of yourself myself and you know it's so interesting I think also with people who either come from families of children with special needs or have a child with special needs the fear of having other children and Mm -hmm. so I'm about to be 30 which is like the near 30 thoughts um November 15th happy birthday in advance thank you thank you you. and part of me is like I feel woman I feel Mm -hmm. ready I feel excited to let go of my 20s which were honestly a lot of but also a lot of beauty mm-hmm. and have led me to who I am to today, but like to start that fresh. Yeah. And another part of me is like, holy crap. Like <laughs> I do one day want marriage, baby carriage, the traditional thing, but not for a while. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have enough babies. Like I got, yeah. you know, my brother, I have my organization. I have some other people. I have my business. And I'm like, how could I birth more? And I think that part of building the capacity to birth more has to be with taking care of myself. Beautiful. Wise, wise words, my friends. I'm so grateful that you are willing to come and share your story because it's powerful, it's inspiring, and it definitely speaks to the work that you've done on yourself. So what else do you have going on? What do you want people to know about? How do you want them to find you? Thank you. Well, first, I would just say, like, my slogan is I am you, you are me, Mm. and we are humanity. Mm. And I think that no matter where we are, no matter what we're experiencing, everyone has highs and lows. Everyone has like the highlight reel and the sad days. And just I'm sending whoever's listening so much love, care and compassion. And there will be hard days, but there will also be beautiful days. Yeah. And for people who want to find me, you can follow me at One Special World. It's an Instagram account or my professional account is for coaching and different services in that space is Danielle Nicole Prizer, which will be spelt in the podcast. We'll put it in your show notes uh, I for sure. I you with the spelling right now. And I do have a group program that's coming out, but I'm not sure if the podcast will be out yet. It's my signature offer. So it's the fourth round. There will be more to come. It starts October 10th, but there will be one in 2024. And essentially it's called The Empowered You. And it's for people with huge hearts who may feel overwhelmed, burnt out, struggle with boundaries, people pleasing, overgiving, overdoing my whole life experience (laughs) and learn to step into their self-love, their energy and their empowerment. And we learn all things from boundaries and limiting beliefs to self-trust and intuition and healthy and loving relationships. And I believe this is the medicine that actually healed me of my medical mystery. I had a seven and a half year medical mystery. No doctors could figure out what was going on on just a bunch of different surgeries different things 
And I believe life is lived inside out where we could have everything we love around us, right? We live in San Diego. I could be on a beach. I could be on a mountain. I could be in the most beautiful space. But if I don't know how to befriend my emotions and be with the discomfort, if I don't know how to talk myself through things or listen to my thoughts and just acknowledge and let go or upgrade them, if I don't know how to have healthy and loving behaviors to take care of myself, it doesn't matter how much I do for others. It doesn't matter how much beauty is around me. I'll never feel that whole. So I also believe in your wholeness if you're listening to this. And if you want to connect, reach out. And thank you so much for having me. This has been so beautiful. And I know people that are listening may not visually see you, but you literally embody compassion. Just feel your heart and your connection and your support. And so thank you. Thanks for all you give to the world, my friend. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into The D-Spot. Find me, Dr. Dana McNeil, and my guests on social media using the links down below. Subscribe for new episodes weekly and leave a comment letting us know how and if you can relate or what topics you'd like us to cover next. See you next time. And don't forget, going to therapy is cool.